Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bougay. Hey, Chris. Rachel, I have some exciting, fun stuff to talk to you about. Let's do it. All right, so here's the situation, right? Uh, there are people that use iPads uh, that need key guards, and off, you, you typically have to either buy a key guard or uh, what a lot of people are doing now is creating their own key guards with 3D printing, right? Have you, I'm sure you've seen this or seen it, seen people doing it. Yes, I I really I don't know anything about 3D printing other than you can make really cool things, including key guards. So a number of years ago, I saw this as an opportunity. We had uh, uh, purchased a 3D printer, and I thought this is like such an authentic problem, right? Like key guards uh, are, if you buy them, they are usually laser cut. So there's laser cut machines, and you get this special material, and you put in the what you need, and then the laser cuts it out. And that costs somewhere in the ballpark of, let's call it $70 or so to, to be done, um, give or take, right? It's like, okay, well, what if we printed our own? We could make these. We had a 3D printer, and like I said, authentic problems, so I brought it to a bunch of students, and for whatever reason, it just crashed and burned. Like I said, this is maybe six years ago now, something along along those lines, that just weren't able to put it together and pull it up, pull it pull it together. Um, but we tried, right? We tried. Now, out in the world, there's other people that have figured it out, you know? They, too, have had the same idea. Let's 3D print these key guards and uh, give them to students. And this way, it's a lot less expensive and it's a lot less permanent, meaning when you buy one and you've got it laser cut, it's very unforgiving. You know, if I, if it, oh, we need to change the speak selection size, the window at the top. Well, sorry, you had it laser cut. This is what it is, you know. But if 3D printed, you can just 3D print another one, you know, and the cost goes way down. You can choose different colors. You can have different, um, all sorts of different variations. You want little uh, raised dots as waypoints? Yeah, we can add those in the 3D design, the print, right? Anyway, I've seen people do it over the years. I've been seeing different people. And uh, I know, for, for instance, one of our friends, Jennifer Shubring, does, does it. Um, uh, and I've seen other people. There's a website called Volkswitch. Somebody uses that, V-O-L-K switch, uh, volkswitch.org, I think it is. Don't quote me. It'll be in the show notes. I'm sure Luke will double check. Um, but it, this is someone else that has done 3D printing. The issue that I was facing, though, specifically in my neck of the woods, is that we use a particular uh, um, case that uh, is almost used exclusively because this particular case, the, the manufacturer will of the case says if the iPad breaks while it's in our case under certain parameters, part of our warranty covers the iPad. So we almost always go with this case unless, you know, the IEP or, you know, individualized, right? So this case, consider it a tier one support, but that doesn't mean we couldn't have a different case that's a tier, you know, for, 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 for specific needs. Okay, anyway, though, the case um, makes it difficult to use a 3D printed key guard with this case because once the case is put on the iPad, the warranty starts and you can't take it off and then put the key guard underneath. So we've been looking at solutions, and we have a number of solutions to come up with, but we've been looking for even better solutions, right? And there's a teacher here, a teacher there that 3D prints and has been um, working on some stuff, but uh, we don't have like a, a, a universal solution yet. Again, it's sort of like one-off little people trying to figure this out. So uh, 
Where am I going with this, Rachel, is that the, for the, uh, I've had now two sessions where I partnered with someone who's called an instructional facilitator for technology. So the, the, the technology coach in a school. And uh, her and I got together and we talked to, uh, and that was two presentations with two fifth grade classrooms, general ed fifth grade classrooms, where we presented this as a design challenge. Here's this authentic problem. And we showed them some key guards and how, and we showed them the case. And we said, can you design something to help keep the key guards on the case, secure them? Here's, and then they asked a bunch of questions and I clarified the questions, you know, based on the, what they were asking. I was like, we want to stay away from, they're like, why don't you just glue it? I was like, well, if you glue it, it gets sticky and it's permanent and we want something that you can rip on and off. Okay. They were like, how about Velcro? And I was like, okay, well, Velcro also has the sticky side and it gets over time. It looks, it starts, it could look really pretty and look good, but over time it gets gunked up and yucky and we don't like it. There's nothing worse than gross Velcro. In my opinion, (laughs) there's nothing that grosses me out more than like Velcro that's like seen better days. And then you could pull it off and put new Velcro on, but that old Velcro, the scoopiness is still there. Now there's stuff for that. There's Goo Gone that you can squirt on there, but that kind of stuff with iPads, always not a good mix to put liquids with iPads, right? So uh, they're probably secure enough, but it's still like, they got it. Like, okay. Um, So so there has to be some sort of mechanical way to, to attach it. Fifth graders, go. And so they got in little groups and they started designing and they started drawing pictures. And that's what we did on the first day. The second day we came back and we shared some of those, you know, the designs. We were like, I really like this one, how it might clamp on, really like that one. And then we brought a bunch of cardboard out and we gave them the cardboards and we said, okay, cut it and and write on it and make your model that you wanted to and that's where we are right now at this current recording they have made some models out of cardboard but now the next step uh, is to go over to Tinkercad Tinkercad is a free uh, designing tool 3D design tool where you can now take your your thing and you can design it in Tinkercad. So they're going to take their cardboard and they're going to design it in Tinkercad with the right measurements and everything. Then they can then, when Tinkercad, you can export that as an STL file or whatever, whatever the file format might be. But it's the file format that is related to 3D printing. And then you can 3D print. So just like a word has a .docx or um, uh, pptx is PowerPoint and STL file is some is a type of file that will go on the 3D printer. So they're going to make this these objects. We're going to print them out and they're going to try it and bring the iPads back, bring some key guards back, see if they can secure the iPad to or secure the key guard to the iPad with their different fastening designs. And it was just such an incredibly fun experience because it was. Again, an authentic problem, a design challenge. It wasn't just like, do this thing because your teacher told you to do it. You're learning, you're collaborating, you're creating, you're, um, uh, you're contributing back to society and to uh, working on something that might really actually benefit people. Um, and you could see the excitement in the kids. You know, It wasn't like, you know, I'm just filling in my worksheet today or I'm doing this thing because my teacher told me to do it. I'm actually here with a real purpose. You know, So it was exciting. It was exciting and I'm, I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Chris, I love this. I love everything about it. I love when you talk about these kind of challenges and, you know, 
authentic problems that you pose to um, students and classrooms. I have a question because I feel like we've talked, you know, before about these types of things. And I feel like you're really good at bridging that gap, right? You see an authentic problem and then you're like, okay, how do I figure this out, you know, as a learning opportunity for students? So for our listeners who are like, this sounds great. Like, how do I actually do this? Like, can you talk about like the behind the scenes type of thing? Like, are you thinking, okay, I have this problem and I know this specific teacher is going to be down for this? Or like, how, how does one go about like, figuring out how to bridge that gap between I have a a genuine authentic problem how do I find that classroom or that student to actually help so my mom used to say when I was growing up it's not always about what you know but who you know (laughs) and that has always stuck with me and that is certainly the case here Um, I have worked with this particular IFT the instructional facilitator with technology Uh, or for technology for many, many years. So we kind of knew each other. But actually, I just put out an all call in my school. I I, I said, hey, who are our 3D printing gurus? And two names came up. So I wrote both of them and I said, can we get together and can we talk about this problem? And this person, her name's Peggy. Peggy was one of them. She was like, well, Chris, I would love to present this to the fifth grader. And I was like, yes, exactly. In my meeting with her, I I sort of said, there was once upon a time when Chris Bougay would have been like, let me go to Tinkercad and let me build it. You know, in fact, you know, Rachel, we've played with Tinkercad before um, in our Patreon. There's some STL files that you can download uh, in our Patreon, like little things that we created uh, for the podcast and stuff like that. But so I had to hold myself back. Part of the, the behind the scenes is holding myself back from just doing it. Well, what kind of fastener would I create and realize that I'm in a stage where, wait a second, I can partner with somebody else and that person can then take it from there, especially when it comes to getting the students involved, right? Um, I don't have immediate access to, uh, well, I mean, I have a little bit. My, my wife is an assistant principal, right? So I could try and pull some strings there. But um, in general, uh, it was talking to the right person. So uh, it's also beneficial, Rachel, I would say, is that I have been in my current position, well, I mean, with my current school district 23 years now, right? So I know a bunch of people in that area um, that I could partner with. And even if I didn't, right, even if we were, there's a a rural uh, SLP listening to this right now going, well, but I can't do that. I don't I've only been in my school district like a year or I'm on a itinerant or something. Um, There, it's, there are certainly communities you can ask, certainly people that you can reach out to, um, especially in today's day and age, you put the call out there, someone will answer, you know. I love that point because oftentimes we just put on so much on our own plates, right? We're just like, okay, I'll figure this out. I'll do this. I'll, And it's just like, how do we start outsourcing? How do we start collaborating? How do we start relying on other people to help us? Um, I feel like it's just kind of a good life reminder too, is like, we don't have to do everything on our own all the time. Um, and in fact, it's amazing that we can collaborate with people and build connections with people because that's how you build really good rapport. And we're always talking about that on on this podcast because the reality with AAC is that you need to get everybody you know on board and it's this extra thing um, so how do we build relationships with people so that they're able to you know work alongside of us in you know helping serve the students that we work with um, so I feel like it's just a, a good reminder that we don't have to do everything alone 
Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the skills that P- Peggy also brought to the uh, design challenge with the fifth graders is she had presented this design thinking uh, framework with visuals to explain for the students. So it's not like I just rolled in and, you know, puked up a problem. There was a um, flow that we went through. Okay, here's stage one is listening to what the problem is and asking follow-up questions. And that's how it, so that was bullet point number one. That's what the visual said to do. That's what we did. And then uh, we said, okay, now the next part is uh, brainstorming and there's no bad ideas. So write all these down or type them into your Chromebook or whatever, but come up with all your ideas now and don't eliminate them. And then, and that was like part point number two. And now number three, now start to go back to that client. I was the client and say, okay, what's, uh, now that we brainstorm, what are some things you would, that wouldn't work? You know, that's how we got to Velcro is out. You know, that's how we got to um, saying any third sort of sticky permanent substance is out. I didn't come in and say, let's not do that. I just presented the problem based on this framework that um, that she was sharing, this design thinking framework. Uh, and so we've been moving through it in a sort of a methodical way to help the students through this experience. Uh, I think as you get better at designing, you it becomes more innate, you know, you just do that framework, sort of like the set framework. I don't necessarily think through each stage separate, separately, um, or really any framework, I, not just the set framework. And that's just a framework we've talked about many times on the podcast. So I feel comfortable using that acronym here. Um, But the point is, whatever the framework is, the more you get used to it, the more it becomes part of just how your thought process is. You don't have to think about it as explicitly through each stage. But right now with these fifth graders, we did. I love it. I love it. And it's just it's so cool to like hear about this. I want you to definitely keep us posted on this design challenge. Like I'm invested now. So you're gonna have to report back to the to the listeners and, and myself on like, how's this going? There's one little aspect to it that I want to mention, Rachel, before we move into the rest of the episode today. And that is, um, I also created, so in our neck of the woods, we have Schoology and that's our learning management system. And you can create groups. So I created a group where we said, all right, who are all the players here that are working on 3D printing key guards? Let's get them all in this group so they can have access to a discussion board and they can do that sort of thing. It really got me thinking that there's a great opportunity here for someone listening to our podcast right now. Again, in the same vein, I don't think you and I should create it, but there's an opportunity out there that somebody else could create a key guarding for AAC Facebook group. Right or some other sort of uh, uh, group that exists where people who are interested specifically in figuring out how to design and print key guards that will fit in all these different cases that might exist can get together and share the results, share what works, because there's a lot more to it than just, you know, printing the file, you know? There's a lot of customization, there's a lot of questions, there's a lot of questions about the material and the sizes and securing it. And so having that sort of community around it I said, I feel like there's a huge opportunity there for somebody if they wanted to start it. I love it, Chris. Somebody go do that for us (laughs) and then share it on our Facebook group. And by us, I think you really mean like the entire AAC community. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. The whole community would benefit from that. So hopefully we've planted a seed. Now, you know what else the entire AAC community could could learn from or, or would benefit from? Tell me, Chris. 
small talk episodes. And that's exactly what we have here today. We have um, a bunch of different uh, short segments from people who are already on the podcast. Some of uh, our most recent uh, episodes that we've asked some, some of those people to stay after and give us one little extra bite-sized piece of information. So here's what we've got coming up. We've got Dr. Smith has come back to talk about universal design for learning and how that works at a university level. We've got India Oaks coming back, talking about tonal policing. We've got Lori Crane coming back, talking about the app Symbolit. We've got Mark Nichols coming back, talking about his top three accessibility features or functions of, of different tools out there. And then we've got Tali Kellerstein coming back, talking about strategies to avoid when implementing games. So she did that whole episode about gaming. This is stuff to avoid when implementing games. I love this, Chris. Before we head into the episode, can I read an iTunes review? Give it to us. Okay. Are you ready, Chris? I'm ready. Okay. The title is Best AAC Podcast. This is by Sabina. I first came across this podcast during the pandemic and have not stopped listening to it ever since. In the beginning, I felt a bit intimidated because of some of the technical language used in the show as I'm a parent. However, I soon came to understand those terms because both Chris and Rachel take the time and effort to explain and educate us more about AAC. I've reached a point where I almost feel like I'm an expert. Laugh out loud. I have recommended this podcast to so many parents and professionals. Also, thanks to this podcast, I've become familiar with so many AAC professionals across the U.S. and now follow their work on social media. Some of my favorite episodes are, of course, the ones that feature AAC users. After all, as a mom to a 13-year-old AAC user, it warms my heart to listen to their experiences and I rejoice in their success. Chris and Rachel, you both are not just amazing professionals, but also awesome human beings. Your passion for AAC is truly infectious. You have made me fall in love with this field, and I hope someday I can give back to the AAC community in some way for all that I've learned and I continue to learn through this show. Aw, I I'm love crying. when you read I'm these. crying right now. I'm crying. <laughs> it's so sweet. Thank you so much, Sabina. We appreciate that so much. I actually remember when I sent that to Chris. I was like kind of emotional about it. Um, it just really means the world to us when we hear that our podcast has made such an impact. Um, that's the reason we started this podcast. It's the reason we show up every week and continue to do this podcast. So we really appreciate this um, and we really love reading your reviews. So if you haven't left us a review, we would love to hear your thoughts on the show. Uh, we read every single one of them and they really touch our hearts. It's so, so appreciated. It, and, and like you said, Rachel, um, when you send those to me and because you're the one who checks them and then like sends them out, uh, it's like sometimes it hits right at the right moment, you know, because we come on here and it's almost always positive. We're talking about the good experiences, but it doesn't mean we don't have bad days, you know, and uh, that is just such a... Um, it's just propels you forward to want to do more. So thank you. Yes. So without further ado, let's head into our Small Talks episode. Are you enjoying this episode? We would love for you to take a few minutes to hit the subscribe button so you always know when we release new content. Even better... If you leave us a review on iTunes, then more people will find this podcast and learn about AAC. We also love reading your reviews on air. Thank you so much for your support. We love this community. Now we can head back into the episode. Hi, 
I'd like to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Andy Smith. Dr. Andy Smith, how are you? Thank you for coming back on the podcast. And we're going to talk about, well, you tell us, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about universal design for learning, UDL. Well, now that is something we've mentioned on the podcast, but it's always good to uh, hear about it. And I would love to hear your perspective about it. And we don't talk about it enough on the podcast. So let's 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 chat. What's on your mind about it? Okay, so my um, interaction with UDL is as um, an employee of my university. I am the faculty disability liaison officer. And what that means is that students come to uni with a range of learning needs. They come, they might have, um, they might have a health condition that makes them tired. They might have ADHD. They might have autism. They might have a range or hearing loss, visual loss. We then have to provide them with an academic plan that modifies the standard teaching to allow it to be accessible for students with these learning needs. My Over the last 12 months, I've become really interested in universal design because universal design says, hey, we don't have to modify for these particular students. What we do is we teach in a broad way whereby everybody can learn. And that involves all the fun things. It involves using tech. It involves small groups, breaking them into parts. It involves presenting material in a range of creative ways. So make a Powtoon, put it on a Padlet, you do a podcast. Um, and it also allows students to demonstrate their learning of the material um, in interesting and, and authentic ways. You don't become a speech pathologist and write an essay, right? So why don't we get people to write a client report or make a presentation of how they would be presenting this to a, a room full of teachers? So for me, I love UDL and that's what I've been doing in the last 12 months. Well, I, you, you know, I'm a huge fan of universal design for learning. And I just love how you even said it, like there's this standard way of teaching and then, but there is no, there, why does there need to be a standard way of teaching and then adapt for there? There's all these different ways we can do it. So let me ask with your job, um, are you sort of um, attempting to do professional learning for other um, professors and trying to sort of broaden their scope about how it works so that it's not just like lecture for 90 minutes with PowerPoints behind me? Correct. And so we are, we've, we've, we've built um, a website. We've, um, for the, the staff, the lecturers and professors at the university, we've been running out and doing training all around the place, um, getting people involved. We provided a whole one day forum where people came along and they also workshop their own teaching so that they could have time to think about how to modify it. And I'm presenting all of this stuff at the UDL IRN at the end of March. You're coming to the UDLRIN. I'm uh, on, coming- online, of course, on Zoom, but yes. Um, so I know about that, but I've actually never been. So I'm super excited to 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 learn what that's like for you. Um, that's how, how exciting, cool. Let me ask, how how has it been received? You know, so uh, as someone who um, has been working in universal design learning for uh, uni- as someone who's been working in universal design for learning for gosh many 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 years now, um, it's uh, uh, some people will adopt it, and some people are so rooted in in how they how they grew up learning that they think that if that's how it is and what's your what's your experience in that look i think i mean experience is difficult because we're an enormous university and i'm very excited because i get 100 people who come to my workshops and i think well that's great that's 100 people but of course that's the tip of the iceberg of everybody else the things that we did were first of all we broke it down 
into three levels. Level one are the things that you probably already do that already exist within our LMS, our learning management system. You might just have to turn it on like subtitles, but you just have to know how to do it and do it. Right? We have level two, which are the things that are relatively easy to do, but you may not already do them. And level three are the, the more complex ones. So the idea of leveling it was has been really attractive to people. And the second thing we did was we developed a self-assessment tool so people can can go in and assess where which level they're at. Um, and so that's really nice because you go in, you assess, you go, okay, I'm at level one. And then you go to UDL back to that page and it gives you a heap of things that you can do really easily at the University of Sydney. We know that this feature is already enabled. You just have to turn it on. So I think that's the first thing is, is and, and we my talk is called something like um, chipping away at it one guide uh, I can't think of it. Once, one something or other at a time, one step at a time. It's the idea is that we're just chipping away at it one thing at a time. You don't have to embrace the whole of UDL. That diagram, it's got green and purple and red and it's boxes and bullet points. It frightens people. So just taking it down to let's just work out where you're at. Let's just look at level one things. That really helps. Um, the second is that I believe you've always got to present things so that there is a win to the person whose position you want to change. So we present it as a, hey, you will get rid of all of these requests to modify your curriculum, right? And so the idea that you're doing it because it's going to help you in the long run, it's also going to improve your teaching. It's going to, the students will be happier. They will give you better evaluations. They will want to come to your classes. That stuff all also, you know, people are willing to consider it if they can see that there's something in it for themselves. So let me ask you here, is there any champions that you found? You've done some of the, these, these um, experiences now, these professional learning experiences where they're, um, you're meeting people where they're at. And have there some people like, oh, my gosh, where has this been my whole life? Or like yeah. they have adopted it. Can you share a story like that? Look, I think for me, it was me that was, the, the you know, it was only a year or so ago that I found out about UDL and I'm like, oh my God, so this is, I'm the biggest champion of UDL at the moment. But but there are definitely other people. And the thing, you know, the thing I like are when people say, I'm going to go away and, and I'm going to change this. Um, or that they go, I'm already doing, that's the ones I really love, are, I'm already doing this. And I didn't even know I was. Um, so my boss, who um, is fantastic and does lots of great things, turned around and went, well, I don't really know much about UDL, but I'm doing it, actually. You know, it's that kind of like, wow, I didn't know that. So that for me, and then that's what I'm saying to people is fill in the form. You're probably already doing a heap of them and you didn't know. And then people aren't so scared of it because they're like, Okay, I'm doing that. The um, the educational designers at my university and the people in you know educational innovation who support um, staff development and teaching you know the development of teachers um, are absolutely you know ex very excited about everything that we're doing in this UDL space because so much of it is is just good teaching. So if we can get people doing these things and then tell them they're doing UDL, I get it's a win win. It's you know everybody's everybody wins. 
I'm going to make a connection here, if that's okay. I'm going to connect it back to the episode that uh, we just recorded, but is is um, weeks in the in the past by now. And that was your team framework, right? Yeah. So uh, it it helps me think that like the, uh, the so there's some training, right? And then there's the expansion, and then the augment. So that's the yeah. TEA, right? And I wonder yeah. if that's not the similar like okay, you're already doing this um, in this particular like uh, yeah. when you've created this one experience for these students in this lesson, uh, you've already added a bunch of different options. Now just do it in more, right? That's the expand, yeah. right? Do it in more, uh, not just this one yeah. time, do it uh, for, can you do it in another lesson and another lesson? How can you do that? Um, and then, okay, what else? What are some more options you could provide? That'd be the augment piece, right? And then what, circling back, okay, what yeah. other training do you need? Whether there are other tools yeah. or there are way options? Do you have questions about assessment and how are we going to assess yeah. using a UDL framework? So yeah. I think it all ties together with your team framework. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's cool. Well, thanks for coming back on the podcast and no thanks worries. for being a champion for UDL. I I, I, okay. I know you're going to um, have a great time at the UDL IRN. All right. Thanks, Chris. Well, I'd like to welcome back India Oaks to the uh, Talking With Tech podcast. Indio, thank you so much for coming back and talking about um, whatever you want to talk about today for our Small Talks episode. It's great being here again, and there was so much we could have talked about before. I am thrilled to talk with you more. So to open, for those listening, have you ever... Told police someone in a conversation you didn't want to talk about? The reality is, many may not be aware of the term, tone policing, but it goes on all the time. Tone policing is when someone focuses on the emotion behind the message, rather than the message itself, and often when doing so, you might think you're helping by making the conversation more comfortable. If you Google tone policing, or search on social media, you likely will see it connected to shutting down conversations on racism, but it happens with any oppressed or marginalized group, including disability and ableism. But let me do a quick, role play, and apologies in advance for not being able to change my tone, especially as we talk about tone policing. A parent talks, with passion, at a special ed advisory committee meeting, saying do you know, kids of color are three times more likely to get arrested by a school resource officer, and more than 25% of black boys with disabilities, and almost 20% of black girls with disabilities, receive at least one out of school suspension in a given school year, and no one does anything because hey, the school resource officer started a running club. Then a special ed staff member responds by saying, you know I totally agree that this is a very serious problem, but all of this anger you are displaying is really distracting from the issue. Don't you think there must be a more civil way to bring it to the public's attention? That is tone policing, a tactic to silence people. But it's not just about silencing people. Those who turn police also are protecting their privilege. Sometimes it's white privilege, 
but sometimes it's the privilege of not having the disability the other person may have. Tone policing is a way to stop a discussion by criticizing the emotion instead of the message itself. Or in other words, it lets those in privilege define the terms of a conversation about oppression in order for that conversation to continue. No question we are raised to be civil, polite, around people, but people do not always understand the hurt that comes when someone is sharing their experience and being discriminated against or marginalized or excluded, and instead of focusing on the issue or acknowledging the person's reaction to such biased behavior, the first thing they hear is, there is no way this can be discussed productively until you calm down. But think about it, how can we have any discussion, tell any story, if emotion is not included with the reason? Here is another point in tone policing, there are some issues that do not need any debate, that should not have two sides of the story to discuss, like using myself as an example, if someone said, is your speech disability actually a severe disability, since you are so successful, let's debate. Guess what, there is nothing to debate about my speech disability. It doesn't matter if I was President of the United States, I still cannot speak clearly, there is no cure, full stop. That may seem like a ridiculous example, but those scenarios happen, just as much as if someone wanted to debate if a transgender woman was really a woman. And here's a final point, since I know I just said a lot and I am sure you have your own thoughts Chris, but we really have to check ourselves, in terms of how we internally, react to hearing something, no one is saying we can't have whatever emotion comes up inside of us if, we, are uncomfortable by someone's story, but we also should not say to someone, it's hard to take you seriously if you are so emotional. Just like we need to listen to why someone who uses AAC refuses something, we need to listen to, why, someone is emotional. These kinds of discussions are about real issues, and instead of stopping the discussion, or trying to talk about it differently, because it makes us feel uncomfortable, we need to do the right thing and help stop the oppression or discrimination from happening. The other person is not whining, they are not being aggressive, they are not being hysterical. Someone's anger is genuine, someone's fear is real, someone's frustration is valid, and so that's why it is about listening not only to the words, but the emotions too, so we know how to acknowledge and support those facing the traumas when attacked or marginalized. India, doesn't it seem like uh, a completely human thing to do is if you're being marginalized, if your kids are being marginalized, if the people you care about are being oppressed, to have an emotional response to that and to um, and to change your tone. Um, and it, you're right, it, the silencing that happens around that, the tonal policing, is just an escape mechanism to not have the conversation. Um, I'll, I'll leave it there for a what second. What parent doesn't get emotional? Yeah, exactly. When your kids are involved, everyone does. Um, it's the human re way to to react and to respond. Um, so, 
again, strategy wise, let's ask, you know, you see this happening and again, you're trying to be the best ally you can be, uh, yeah. or if it's happening to you, if it's happening around you, if you notice it happening, what do you think are some strategies we put in place to prevent it, you know, either in the moment or something to prevent that from happening in the first place? If you are experiencing it, or seeing it happening, say something right now, and don't stop saying something. You can call someone in, or call someone out, but keep speaking up. So, so for instance, in that situation where if someone did do a tonal policing and I was there, I could say, and I say I, I don't mean me, Chris, I mean the, a person listening. Mm -hmm. I might say, wait, I really want to hear what they have to say. Like, continue, yeah. you want, like, silence the tonal, tonal policing yeah. by, by keeping the, that ball in the air, right? And keep that message going. Exactly. Yeah. Any other thoughts here, India? Or like I did this summer, I spoke up when someone tried to silence me on Facebook, said as much as I could, and then wrote about it in an article as a way to get it all out. So even if you can't do it in the moment, don't let it go. Come back. There's more forms of communication than just speech or just writing it on a Facebook message. There's many ways to get your message out. Yeah. So um, even if someone that happens to you persist. Persist, be tenacious. Mm -hmm. um, okay, that's is that is that a good summary? Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Uh, India, let me just ask you one follow-up question there. How do you persist? How do you find that? Because uh, I would imagine, um, I mean, I know from my own my own neck of the woods, sometimes I get frustrated with that the the, the ship is not turning fast enough, the needle is not moving fast enough, whatever analogy you want to use. Um, I can't make it move in the direction I want it to move. Um, and so sometimes I feel like maybe this is my own privilege, like, well, now I'll just take a break or quit, you know, and I, maybe because I am who I am, I can do that, you know, um, and other people can't because they, they can't take a break, you know, uh, like I said, maybe that's my own privilege. They are coming out. Um, what, what do you do? What's the strategy you use to, to keep at it, you know? You have to know your audience and be diplomatic in how you respond to a specific person, whether a friend or colleague or stranger. But bottom line, remember, this isn't about me being hurt in this moment, but all the thousands of others who never get to stop such harm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, well, India, any sort of final thoughts here? There's a very cool comic about tone policing that I will share with you, Chris, that I think all your viewers will find value in looking at. And I will leave it at that. 
Awesome. We will definitely share that in the show notes of this episode. So again, thank you for the Talking With Tech podcast, India. We appreciate your time and thank you for being here. Thank you as well. Welcome back to the Talking With Tech podcast. And again, Lori Crane, how's it going? Thanks for coming back and and chatting with us some more. Uh, What do you got for us today? Thanks, Chris. It's good to be back. Well, one tool that we have recently been introduced to and that we are trying at one of our service projects, it's called King David's Kids. It is a support group for families with autistic children. And we, our students are able to work with the autistic kids in settings where they were able to get clinical hours and provide therapeutic intervention during an evening setting. The parents then go and they're at a support group and they have guest speakers come in and about transition and about, you know, all the things that they need support in. And then our marriage and family therapy students will have a siblings group. So we have this wonderful, just immersed experience. Well, one of the tools that we're trying out with our kids that are symbol speakers and use AAC is the program symbol it. So basically you choose that child's communication system. It may be lamp words for life, um, symbol sticks. There's just several that are listed on here. And you're able to talk into your iPhone or your iPad, and it generates the symbol display in that speaker's language and symbol system. So it's wonderful for building receptive language, for modeling. We had a situation one night where, you know, Chris, I know this never happens to you, but the battery died on the device. (laughs) And we were able to use this program and translate some of those words. And he was looking and attending and even, you know, reached out to to touch a couple of the symbols and used it expressively, which is, you know, really not the intent of it. But I'm excited to see where this can take us. So we just started using it and, um, we were gifted a copy uh, for the clinic. And so I just, I love new tools and new opportunities to learn. Lori, let me ask, I think back in the day when Symbolet first came out, it was a free, it was free, I think. And is it now moved to a freemium model where there's something you can explore and then um, you you pay for it? Is that? Uh, uh, That's a good question. I'm not sure if there is like a light version or if you purchase, um, you just purchase it. I do believe last time I looked, it was $99. Let's look. Um, Yeah, it's still $99.99. And we have, uh, Chris Klein has used it in his uh, Bible study groups. We're using it with the new nonprofit Halakha to share some of those uh, biblical concepts. And we have parents that are using it and just really giving good feedback. So we symbol and talk in those uh, symbols. They hear the language. They experience experience that language in real time. So it's, can, it's exciting. 
Yeah, I can totally see how it could be used to support a communication partner, like trying to find the symbols, uh, as opposed to going to the the search feature or word finder or whatever the, the 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 function might be on the particular app. Being able to be like, well, okay, I'll just say it, and then the symbol will come up, and I can now maybe hunt for it or model, and and I can show what um, this is the symbol that what it looks like and what it means, and maybe describe it a little bit. It's, it makes a lot of sense to me that you could uh, that that would really help build receptive language yeah yeah it's been a great tool well thanks Lori. thanks for coming back on uh we'll um, hope everyone checks it out thank you so i'd like to welcome back to the podcast mark nichols how's it going mark Oh, it is going great. Thank you for having me today. So Mark, these are this is a small talk episode. And what we try and do is like seven minutes or less, just kind of uh, hit one quick topic here. And so here's what I'd like to kind of throw out to you, this kind of challenge, if you will. Imagine you're a, a faculty member and you are creating some materials for a student. Um, what would be the top three considerations you should be thinking of when you're making materials? Like, man, I wish all of my instructors that I helped, I wish they knew these top three things. We would hurt, we would help so many people if people just did these three things. What would be your top three things you'd want to tell people about? All right. So I would say the first thing that comes to mind is um, closed captioning, um, closed captioning and live captioning. So uh, we do a lot of work, um, which which has been amplified extensively because of COVID, um, of helping to support faculty in the creation of inclusive media by uh, having access to tools that can auto-generate um, captioned content for their captioned files for their videos, you, leveraging machine generated AI captioning uh, mechanisms, uh, but also in providing professional level post-production captioning services for students uh, um, that require um, uh, a higher degree of accuracy in the caption content. So, um, Virginia Tech has tools, like I said, that are machine generated. Um, in fact, just recently, we uh, deployed a uh, mechanism inside of our um, video management environment that will automatically apply machine caption to every single video that's uploaded into our learning management system. So out of the gate, it means every video at least has machine generated captioning. Now, accuracy is dependent on multiple variables. Faculty can go in and edit that caption track and bring it up to a higher degree of accuracy rate or for qualifying videos, professional level captioning can be applied. So I would say number one, and we're sort of getting there, every video that's produced should be captioned. Um, And live captioning is a very important element at Virginia Tech, especially for public front facing events, not just in the instructional environment. And so we now have models set up to bring live captioning with a live transcript um, available on any content that is uh, shared via digital means um, at Virginia Tech. So captioning, absolutely number one thing. And we do have a campaign, uh, uh, choose accessible learning materials campaign that's focused on captioning on our website that gives a whole bunch of information about why should I, how do I do it, and how do I share this information with my colleagues to get them to hop on the captioning bus. So anybody looking for that, that information's on our website. All right, number, number one, closed caption. Closed captioning. Awesome. Number two. 
Number two, I would say leverage accessibility checkers. So whether or not you're utilizing Microsoft Office and the built-in accessibility checker tool that's available and pretty much, at least at the higher ed institutions, all versions of Office that will be used will have the accessibility checker um, included in that. So that is the checker for Word, the checker for PowerPoint, and the checker for Excel. Um, and there are, there are other checkers in OneNote and in other applications, but just specifically thinking about those, that's a that's sort of a, a low-hanging fruit that doesn't require a lot of extensive um, effort that yields a big return. Um, now, we recognize, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, that sometimes remediation of content does require some skill and some expertise in how to effectively, case in point, like an, uh, an alt tag. Um, if, you, if there's an image of a, a red apple on the screen and the image uh, has a deeper meaning than just a red apple, then putting an image description red apple pacifies the accessibility legal requirement of having an, an, an alt text, but it doesn't really tell the story to an individual who's trying, who can't um, obtain that information through visual means. So, so there are, I say that in that there needs to be correct support mechanisms, whether or not it's training opportunities or quick start guides or videos that can help supplement those efforts. But in general, the accessibility checkers are a, are a very low hanging fruit. And the checker, um, uh, Chris, you had mentioned in a, in a different um, series about Grackle. We also have Grackle available inside of our Google environment. So anybody leveraging um, Google Docs, Google Sheets, Google Slides can use Grackle, run that accessibility check, make those changes, and it improves the accessibility of it for everybody, and it saves you from having to go back and retrofit, and that's what we're all about. It's design accessible from up front. Will it take a little bit of extra time? Absolutely. Is it, uh, is it uh, imperative that you do it now? Absolutely. You don't want to have to go back and retrofit the content. It always takes more time, and it's always a last-minute rush. You're going to need this in a very short period of time, and the last thing you want to do is have to rush to figure out how to remediate that content in order to make it accessible. Love it. Love it. Okay. And number three. All right. So number three, I would say are leveraging tools that can convert text-based content into an auditory file. So here at Virginia Tech, for instance, we have um, Read and Write, um, which is a, a great tool. And for those listening, if you're an educator, um, you can have access to Read and Write for free using your educational uh, email address. Um, the tool allows you to take text content and to convert it into an audio file. And we have another tool at Virginia Tech called Ally, which is implemented into our LMS. Um, it's, a, it's a product of Blackboard. And that also allows you to take, let's say, a PDF file and convert it into an audio file. Now, what's the benefit of that? Well, the benefit is that for any student, and, and I love that we have an event um, called Gobbler Fest at Virginia Tech, and it's on the drill field. And there's hundreds of tents set up from clubs to um, software teams to design to everybody at Virginia Tech has a tent at Gobbler Fest. We set up a tent and we specifically talked about some of the free software that's available to help support students in their classes, regardless of ability, no requirement to self-identify as a student with a disability. And we talked about, okay, you have just been assigned by your professor a 13-page PDF to read. Now, 
we know you're an active individual, right? What do you think about taking that PDF, converting it into an audio file, dropping it on your phone, and now while you're commuting on the tr- on what, what we call in Blacksburg the BT, the Blacksburg Transit, while you're commuting to school, to, to your class, you're listening to that audio file. Or while when you're working out at McComas Gym, you're listening to that file. Or you have a migraine. You've been looking at a screen all day long. You just want to close your eyes and listen to that file. And the amount of students that we get, you see the light bulb literally going off above their head like, oh my gosh, absolutely. And we're not even talking about disability here. We're just talking about something that everybody can benefit from. So leveraging those types of tools that can help students engage in the modality that they prefer in the environment that they prefer to, to, to learn, that type of technology gives them that, that, that affordance. I love it. I love it. Those are great, great strategies, great techniques for everybody. Thank you so much, Mark. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me, Chris. Welcome back to the Talking With Tech episode. And so I'm welcoming back Tali Kellerstein. How's it going, Tali? Beautiful, having a great time. <laughs> so this, with this small talk episode, we're talking about just a quick strategy or something that we didn't get to mention during the interview that we did for the, the full-blown episode. So we were talking about games. What are some other uh, strategies you have when it comes to games? So two, two main tips I wanted, uh, that I like wish I had said, so I'm so happy that you, that you have me back on. Um, and the, it's like, it's like podcast buyer's remorse. No, I didn't say that. So I really appreciate that, that you're giving me this chance. Um, so the first thing is for a tip to include in your games is please don't miss that opportunity to use the setup and cleanup of games as part of the practice. So especially for those early stages of, um, of setting up a target where you need a lot of repetition. So I, I know in the, in the podcast, I had talked about bilabial closure as a, as a goal. So let's say I'm working on B, on the word B. If I take the game honeybee tree, there are, I don't know how many honeybees it comes with, like let's say 40. Every time we put in a B, that's setting up that game and getting that kid to, to say that target over and over. Um, and motor speech, we want fewer targets, more repetition. How do you make that not boring, right? Like uh, Books are a beautiful way to do that. And games with multiples of the same pieces are a great way to do that. So same thing when we're then putting away the game, um, you know, you'll, you'll take those pieces and put them in the box and save them as you need them. And if you need to shorten it or longer lengthen it, then you take five B's at a time or you take six B's at a time, but you've still got this opportunity for that mass practice um, or you know, block practice. Then oh, wait, I got to jump in there. Yeah. And say it's one of my favorite strategies too, when, when working on language targets, like you're saying, put in, put in, put in. Um, yeah. I'll often uh, pretend that the container is like a little monster and like the <laughs> open and then you know, the students are like open. And so uh, open up the, you can't, people can't see my hands right now, but I'm opening my hand like it's a lid. And then nom, 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 we eat the, we eat the bees <laughs> as it goes in. And then, uh, and they have to say open again, you know, for it to open up and it's just over and over and the kids are laughing and you get that repetition 
conversation in, but it's also sort of a fun way um, to to put things away and take things out, right? You know, totally. Oh, it's gonna eat your hand as it's gonna as you're <laughs> to get the bees out. You know, oh, gotta get it fast. You know, it's so super fun. So yeah, what yeah. else? Yeah, what else? Uh, you got? What are the strategies? And you uh, you just glossed over it, but you can't underestimate the power of humor <laughs> as well, right? <laughs> that that power of, of of your finger might be bitten off, um, and a little bit of surprise. Um, and then the strat, the other piece of like what to avoid for me, I really, um, avoid games with batteries that are going to take up my airtime. Usually if there's a battery, that means that the toy talks I have, I really look at my speech therapy session, like a radio station, like a radio show. I have X amount of airtime. I want that kid to get as much airtime as we can, uh, in that, in that session. And, um, and so we want, uh, we want to avoid batteries because they talk instead and they're taking up my airtime and it's annoying. <laughs> so um, somebody gave me a great hack for, lack, for Lucky Ducks because I said that that was the one game that I make an exception for because it's so motivating. If you take out one battery of Lucky Ducks, apparently it stops quacking, but it still rotates. So stellar a tip. It was uh, my friend, uh, Roseanne Israel at fun to talk taught me that I wish I had known that like so many times I had turned a left corner and my car started quacking because the ducks were in the back. <laughs> yep. like, so, so those are my two, those are two just, um, additional, additional tips, um, that I'm just looking at my notes to see if there's anything that I missed, but yeah, those are the two, the two kind of extra golden nuggets that uh that i wish i had shared i'm so, super happy you gave me the opportunity to do it love it thank you for coming back on and sharing appreciate it my pleasure 